welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who uh, braved, the, it's slightly chilly, but we have heaters. It's not bad. Some people brought their blankets and extra layers. That's brilliant and genius. Those of you sitting at home, if you're cold, that's just your fault. So you can you know, find a way at home in your pajamas uh, to, to get warm. And, but we want to dig back into God's Word here as, uh, as we read from Colossians 1. We've been going through the series in Colossians, and we're kind of hanging in chapter 1 because there's so much rich, richness in this passage. As so we're looking at Colossians 1 again with a different set of lenses as we come to God's Word, we're going to look at Jesus as the suffering servant as Paul writes in Colossians 1 and verses 19 through 20. In particular, I want to remind you that when the disciple Philip asked Jesus this question, he said, Lord, or said this to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. And then Jesus answered by saying, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's a great summary for Colossians 1, the poem in verses 15 through 20, because Paul writes this letter, he writes this beautiful poem in these verses, highlighting the beauty and the glory of Jesus as God himself, how he, Jesus is the creator, he's the sustainer of all that is seen and unseen, and in whom all things hold together. You remember that phrase from last week? In Jesus, all things hold together. We need that word for us for sure today. What a glorious picture of the Savior that Paul gives us, whom we get to call our friend. And so I just want to pause before we dig into this beautiful part of God's scripture. Do you know Jesus as your friend? Do you know him as your Savior? Because this world, with all of his beauty and goodness, is broken. And if you don't know this Savior, if you don't know this friend, You don't have the hope that God intends you to have in him alone, and you need to know him. And so we ask you to consider, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, invited him as your Savior, your friend, your Lord, do it today. I hope I'm going to give some reasons why you can have confidence to do that if you haven't done that yet. Paul emphasizes this reality of who Jesus is in verses 19 to 20 that we just read. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. That word reconcile is going to come up throughout this message today. Because when we see Jesus, we see God himself. And we see Jesus who came on a mission sent by God to reconcile broken creation. And so if there's anything sad or broken or or hateful or ugly, Jesus came to reconcile and make right the wrongs on planet Earth, in our families, in our relationships, in our economies, amongst different ethnic groups. All this brokenness that we experience and see, Jesus came to reconcile all these things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. When Jesus walked the earth, he showed us a very different God than the one that we might expect. Colossians 1 verse 20. You take a look there. It reminds us that Jesus came by making peace by the blood of his cross. That this beautiful, glorious, great God, the fullness of God in Jesus, shed blood on a cross. 
It, it just doesn't make sense. It blew their mind. Because what Jesus does, he shows us a God of grace who humbled himself by shedding his blood, by laying down his life. This was shocking to the early Christians. It should be shocking to us. How could God suffer for us? It doesn't make sense. You see, the Lord of the universe didn't die on a cross to make us more moral or more nice or more enlightened. He came to rescue us. This was, a, this was an unbelievable mission of God to usher us into his family because we were separated from God. And so Jesus said that he wanted to come. It was worth all the pain that you and God might be together, not just now, but for eternity. It was a mission that Jesus was sent on. Inviting us into his eternal family where all the broken things become undone. You see, Jesus in whom the fullness of God dwells chose to be a suffering servant as prophesied throughout the Hebrew scriptures hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus ever came. A suffering servant would come. He came to rescue us. He took a cross. And for, for people reading this letter from Paul, the cross, keep in mind, wasn't a decoration like we treat it today, right? You wear a necklace or we put it on, on, on a Bible or a book. It's this beautiful picture of a cross. Would you go around today wearing a necklace with an electric chair on it? Because that's what the cross was, a form of torture, a form of death. But we treat it, we sanitize it, and we think of it as a decoration. Do not forget this Jesus, God himself, came and he suffered for you out of love. It was worth it for him that you might say yes to his invitation. See, this Jesus shows us that God, a God that no one could imagine, he's a servant king who chose to suffer. And so this is good news because that means that Jesus is not put off by your suffering. Jesus is not put off by your brokenness. Jesus is not put off by all of the imperfections and the pain in your life. He says, come near. I know exactly what it's like. He's a servant king who is familiar with suffering. Your brokenness does not deter him. Paul is trying to teach the Colossians this very thing, that we have a compassionate Christ who understands our suffering. He understands our isolation, how we feel. The stresses and our uncertainties are worrying about those battling health issues. Those of us who have actually experienced loss. I was just at a funeral this past week. Some of you are, have said goodbye to people. Incredible losses that God says, I know. I see your tears. I see your pain. He sees our worries. He sees those struggling with finances. He see, sees those worried about the future. Paul understands himself what suffering means, but in the midst of suffering, how to keep striving. See, Paul, if you take a look at Colossians 1.1, he, he introduces himself as he normally does, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So he opens up his letter in a customary way. He calls himself an apostle, which literally means a sent one. Who is he sent by? He's sent by Christ. Again, don't forget the suffering servant Christ. Paul is sent by. And he is an apostle who was sent after a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. That's what an apostle is. But he gives two qualifying characteristics of his life as an apostle. Look at verse 24. Colossians 1, 24 says, Now I rejoice 
in my sufferings for your sake. Paul, somehow, as one who suffers greatly, can rejoice. He knew how to suffer and strive, somehow. We have something to learn from him. Now, some modern-day apostles teach a health and wealth gospel. That when you get close to Jesus, that means you get physically healthier. When you get close to Jesus, you get more money and doors open up for you. Well, I'm telling you, Paul would say, I don't understand that gospel. Because I'm about the one of the most faithful people who knew Jesus, and that's not what my master told me. <laughs> that the closer you get to Jesus, the easier life gets. You know, you just... You have person after person handing you money and date after date. You can't even choose whom to love, right? Just so many options out there. The closer you follow to Jesus, the closer you're following a suffering servant. Paul the apostle says, I suffer, but I do it with joy. Now that's what I want to learn. I need to learn how to suffer with joy, how to suffer and strive. He has something to teach me, this Paul. And then verse 25, he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship of God. Now, a minister, that word comes from the Greek word diakonos, which literally just means a servant. And so you have to remind me if I ever get confused that I think being a pastor means I get privileges. I, that, you know, elders, I could use a parking space with my name on it out front. I've noticed, I've noticed you made a mistake. All the parking spaces, they're all blank. And so I know you made a little mistake, but if you could put my name on there, put Rev in front, that's kind of more proper, right? And then, and then elder would say, Pastor Tim, remember Colossians 1.25? You're a servant. You're a diakonos. I'd say, oh, yeah. It's not a place of privilege. I get the privilege of getting on my knees and washing feet. A servant. That's what it's about. Jesus says in Mark 10.43, whoever wants to be great must become a diakonos. Same word, a servant. And then Jesus models it on the night that he was betrayed washing feet, and he gives his life a diakonos. Paul says, I'm a diakonos. Paul's identity as an apostle of Christ mimics the Lord's identity as a servant, a suffering servant who's come to reconcile broken things, lost things, back to God. And so we've seen Paul's heart for the young Christians in Colossae, and he's writing to us as well by the Spirit, I believe, to not be thwarted by wrong thinking that would stunt their growth. So the wrong thing that would think that if you just add this to your life, you'll be more blessed. If you just add more faith to your life, you'll see more healings. If you just add more of this to your life, then your, your candidate will be voted in. Get it? No. Suffering servant. Laying down your life. A diakonos. It's not about power. It's about giving up power. It's about laying down our life before King Jesus and offering our lives to this world. See, Paul says in chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, that he wants you, he wants me, the Colossians, to be rooted and built up in him, Jesus Christ, being shaped into the likeness of Jesus our Lord. And what did he look like? A suffering servant who shed his blood on the cross. So friends, you get to take up your cross as Jesus invites us. Take up your cross and follow me. Pain and suffering and struggle will be part of your faithfulness in following Jesus at times. Follow Jesus, who is a servant who is familiar 
with suffering. Now I want to remind you, where is this all heading? There, scripture does tell us there will be a future where sin and all of its effects will be fully undone at the end of the story when the king returns to eradicate all the wrongs on this planet and all the wrongs inside each one of us. He will return as a king, not as a suffering servant. One day, he will return, we'll fully see him as his glorious, perfect, beautiful, strong king. We'll see that perfection one day day. And one day the renewed heavens and renewed earth will come where God will always be present in this new heavenly city on earth. I can't wait for that day. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sin, no more elections. Amen, right? No more peace, no more cancer, no more deaths, no more divorces, no more abandoned babies, no more one day. But until then, until that day, The people of God live each moment giving their communities a glimpse of this world to come by loving God, by loving neighbor, by striving in the midst of your sufferings, by showing hope in the midst of your pain. That is what we get to do until that day. As we root ourselves in the power of the suffering Messiah, our weakness becomes a conduit for his strength. Do you know that? Your weakness becomes a funnel, something that God could use to point to his strength and goodness. In Colossians 3.23, Paul says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And so I want to remind you, Paul begins this letter in chapter 1 showing that Jesus Christ is a servant, and then Paul continues in chapter 1 defining his own life as a servant, and then in chapter 3 he says, you all are called to be servants. That's what he says here in verse 23. And so we fulfill God's purpose when we take our, on our identity as a servant who knows suffering is a redeemable aspect of following him. If you're suffering today, if you've experienced loss today, if you maybe have experienced death somewhere in your friend circle, your family, I want you to know there's hope. It doesn't mean you're far from God. Invite God to show you the way. We fulfill God's purpose when we take on our identity, knowing that suffering is a redeemable aspect of following him. Author Philip Yancey says it this way. He says, Paul's life was full of suffering. Listen to this. Prison, a shipwreck, a snake bite, torture. This was Paul. And yet Paul said, I look back on all of these things that God has worked for good in my life. And then he goes on to say in the book of Romans that nothing can separate us from the truth of God's love, not space or time or even death. He doesn't pretend that this is an ideal world, but he gives hope. I want you to leave with hope today in the midst of your suffering and your unanswered prayers and your brokenness. It is not all for loss. You have someone who came to redeem brokenness, yours and mine's and the world's. Let me mention at least two ways that God uses suffering for good. There are more, but let me just mention two quickly. First of all, suffering equips us for ministry. The Apostle Paul wrote another letter called 2 Corinthians, and in that he said this in 2 Corinthians 1.4, that God comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul is saying... 
Expect suffering, but expect that God can use your suffering to bless someone else who's suffering. That's how God can use suffering for good. I remember my wife Katie and I, we were struggling with infertility for several years. Couldn't have a child. And then God blessed us with Avery. And she's right here. <laughs> but I'll tell you, we had so much compassion and empathy for others who struggled and still struggle and never got the gift of a child. God uses suffering to equip you for ministry. I want you to pause for a moment and think about, Lord, is there an area of suffering that I have not been open that you might want to use as a ministry? Ponder that for a second. Secondly, suffering prepares us for more glory. Let me mention what the scriptures say. Again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I think what he means by that is something like this, that as temporary residents of this present world, God says our pain has purpose, that we cannot understand the side of heaven. That God won't waste your pain when you hand it to him. When you hand it to him, he won't waste it. Are you willing to pray for God to use your broken places to equip you for ministry and to prepare you for more glory? When you have this eternal mindset in your vision, you can say, God, take my pain and use it for your good. Not that the pain itself was good, but take this bad thing and redeem it for something good. Where is there pain in your life right now that you're holding on to? That maybe God is nudging you to say, let go, hand it to me. I can take that ugliness and make something beautiful out of it. I can take that pain and redeem it. I can take that brokenness and heal it, not only for you, but use it to heal someone else by the power of Jesus. See, Jesus is our example to show us what to do with suffering. Philip Yancey, he says this as well. He says, the Bible consistently changes the questions we bring to the problem of pain. It rarely answers the backward-looking question, why? Why, God, why? Instead, it raises a very different forward-looking question, to what end? We are not put on this earth merely to satisfy our desires to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. We are here to be changed, to be made more like God in order to prepare us for a lifetime with him. And that process may be served by the mysterious pattern of all creation that pleasure sometimes emerges against a background of pain, that evil may be transformed into good and suffering may produce something of value. Perhaps you wrongly were taught that if you invited Jesus into your life, that he would take away all of your suffering. You ever thought this when something bad happened to you? God, how could you allow this to happen? Haven't I been faithful to you? You ever thought that? I have. You know what that means? That means I have a little bit of bad theology in me. How could you allow this to happen? I've been so faithful. Oh, so you think, Tim, that if you're faithful, you'll suffer less because you'll have some kind of God shield around you, right? That's bad theology. Underneath this prayer is an assumption that if I've been faithful, that God will bless me. 
but that isn't what God promised. At least blessings the way that I want to see them, right? Blessings of wealth, blessings of health, blessing of all of my relationships working out. Sometimes we must honestly ask ourselves, did I get into Christianity so I could serve God or so that God could serve me? See, Jesus promised that in this next life with him, there would be no more suffering or pain. But Jesus' own life on earth teaches us that suffering is normal. And in fact, pain is how God will significantly grow us and bless others through our redeemed suffering. But you got to let go and invite him into that space. You know, each day I'm trying to see suffering in my life and be able to pray a prayer that Mother Teresa prayed. Listen to this. Lord, help us to accept the pains and conflicts that come to us each day as opportunities to grow as people and become more like you. I love that prayer and kind of hate it at the same time. Like, Lord, use the suffering for your glory. That's a hard prayer to pray. Oh, but I need it, don't you? Lord, use this pain. Help me to become more like you. Use it to bless someone else somehow. Help me to keep faith in you. So let me ask you, should we pursue suffering then? No. I have a feeling there's enough suffering in our life without us trying to pursue it. So there's a suffering you should refuse and another you should endure. Let me comment on that quickly. Here's a suffering you should refuse. Listen up. Perhaps you know someone being abused. An abusive relationship, abusive emotionally, physically, however it might be. And this person, the abused one, thinks that this is part of the path to suffering, that they just must uh, endure. But the reality is they're injuring their own soul, and they're actually even preventing the abuser from, from receiving the justice that should happen to that person. There's a suffering you should refuse. You should get help. Please, get help. Call. You don't have to endure that kind of suffering. We should not hesitate to flee abusive relationships and hold accountable abusers. The Bible is not asking us to remain in these kind of unhealthy, abusive relationships. Be clear. But conversely, there are some people who avoid pain at all costs. They think, as I follow Jesus, I shouldn't be experiencing any pain. Let me give you an extreme example. When I was four years old, I'm going to let you in on a secret, I did not like to take baths because getting out of the bath, our heater was like in the ceiling, one of these old school like ceiling heaters, and it never, I was too short because I'm tall now, but I was too short back then, and the heat from the ceiling, and by the way, heat rises, so it never got down to me, and I would be so cold that for a year at age four, I pretended to take baths so I wouldn't have to get out of the cold bath, so I would just like kind of dampen the towel and be in there and let the steam build up for a year. And I wondered why no kids wanted to play with me in the playground. I don't know. It was a mystery. But I wanted to avoid the pain of being cold so badly that I spent a year faking taking baths. I know that sounds crazy, but each one of us have a little bit of crazy in our, in our world where we want to avoid pain so much that we're actually avoiding an opportunity that God wants to use to grow us, an opportunity that God wants to use to build a ministry to bless others. Because we're so pain avoidant. Some people stay wrongly in abusive relationships because they think that any relationship, even abusive ones, is better than no relationship. You see how wrong thinking? They don't want to experience the pain of being lonely, and so they endure the pain of an unhealthy relationship. Is this making sense? 
We don't want to experience the pain of having to look at my bank account, so I just keep spending and spending, and I don't want to look at, I don't want to add up anything. You understand what I'm saying here? We need to refuse a certain kind of pain. We also need to endure and embrace that God is speaking to us in the midst of the pain, okay? You need to know the difference between those two different kinds of pain. C.S. Lewis famously said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So let me ask you as we pause, where is God's megaphone speaking to you even now? Maybe the spirit is nudging you something, an area of your life, something maybe even buried Something maybe to, to work out with a counselor, uh, someone uh, who's, who's got deep faith in Christ to help you work through these past wounds. Where is a place of pain that God is saying, in your hands, you will just keep cycling back pain after pain after pain. But if you hand it to me, my child, I can redeem that pain and bring healing and actually use it for some kind of good. Not that the pain itself was good, but use it for his purposes. You see, Jesus came to reconcile you and all of creation back to himself, and he knew it would cost him dearly. He would suffer for it. And he chose a path of suffering to accomplish his mission because he thought of you and he thought of me being separated from him for eternity. And he says, I will take that cross. I will bleed on that cross. I will give my life for the sake that you might say yes to my eternal offer of being in my family. He says it's worth it. Do you know this friend do you know this Redeemer, this Reconciler, this Savior as your Lord? Do you know him? He chose a path of suffering so that you would not have to eternally suffer. Yes, for now we do, but not one day. But he can empathize with our suffering right now until he comes back again. See, God wants you to be part of his reconciling things on earth, to give a little glimpse of God's goodness until he comes back. That is our great privilege and our task. Before we return to Jesus and see him face to face, our great task is to join him in giving a glimpse of his goodness in the midst of a suffering world. I was at a Japanese church prior to this church, and I learned about this thing called kintsugi. I have a picture up on the screens. It's a 16th century Japanese art form, and they take a piece of broken pottery, and they fill the cracks with an adhesive mixed with gold dust. And kintsugi, when you see this beautiful artwork, it is an amazing thing that they do, and it's countercultural to the way that we tend to see things in the West. Because we repair things to make them look brand new, right? Kintsugi actually emphasizes the broken pieces. In fact, at my last church, I had a secretary. She's from Japan. She happened to be a church secretary and a master Japanese tea ceremony person. And she had kintsugi cups from the 18th century from a shogun warrior. And, it was, and I got to drink from it. It was lined with gold. And it was amazing to see this work of art. And it's reminded me that we think of healing and brokenness so differently in the West. 
We repair things to make them look brand new. For example, I take my car in to get car washed, rarely, but occasionally. So I take it in, but when I do, and I spend my hard-earned $10 on that really expensive, fancy wash, exterior only, please. So $10, I pay for the wash, but I make sure I walk around the car after they're done. I look for every single little spot, and, you know, I want to give my tip. And so I make sure everything looks as perfect as it can for my 2008 Prius. But anyways, it looks great when it's clean. So... I walk around it, but what if one creative individual one day, after they're done, instead of cleaning the dirt, they actually added more dirt and said, don't you love what I did? Isn't this amazing? I was making a work of art. See, Kintsugi emphasizes the broken parts, but here's the reality. It makes something that is broken more beautiful. It makes it stronger and it makes it more valuable. I just want to leave you with that thought. I think there's a sermon in there that all your broken pieces, when you invite God into your brokenness, he can do those things for you. He takes your brokenness and makes you more beautiful. He takes your scars and makes you stronger. He takes your pain and makes it priceless when you hand it to him because your pain has a purpose. Your marks become a ministry. There was a pastor from Korea named Pastor Lee. Was a, he's featured in a documentary called The Dropbox. He started a ministry of taking in abandoned babies with disabilities in particular. And he literally built a box that was on the outside of his building. When you put the baby in the box, he was on the inside and he could receive that baby. Hundreds of babies have been dropped off in his Dropbox of Pastor Lee. And Pastor Lee receives these babies because his own child has a disability. And he had a heart and a compassion out of the suffering and the pain that he would have empathy towards others and say these children are worth more than being discarded and left to die. And so he built a drop box. And Pastor Lee, out of his own pain, turned it over to God, and he believes that when he gave over his brokenness to God to redeem it, God turned his scars into a blessing for others, and God has transformed by taking his scars and transformed them and taking the brokenness of abandoned babies and is using it for good. So let me ask you again, how have you been broken? Have you been wounded? Have you been hurt? Have you been disappointed? Because God can redeem it to bless you and to bless others. But if you're holding on to it tightly, you got to hand it to them. Lord, take it. Use it for your glory. Use it to point people to your goodness. You can place yourself and your scars into the reconciling hands of the one who is reconciling all things back to himself and making good come out of the bad. Let me close with this. Colossians 1.14. Before Paul goes into the poem of verses 15 to 20, Paul talks about Jesus as the one in whom we have redemption. That literally means God buys you out of your brokenness and restores you to freedom and restores you to healing, restores you for purpose See, Jesus is this reconciled redeemer who was sent to us as a suffering servant. And Paul the, Paul the apostle, he says, I'm a suffering servant being faithful to Christ. And he says, guess what, Colossians? Guess what, CPC family? 
If you follow Jesus, your suffering you should expect and your suffering can be redeemed. And praise God that this glorious creator has the authority to take our pain and give it purpose. Because in God's reconciling hand, your pain and suffering and scars turn from deficits into a destiny in God's hands. Not in yours, in God's. If you want to find your ministry, I often tell people, find your pain. Find a pain that's on your heart for the world. Find the pain that's very personal to you. If you want to find a ministry, it often revolves around a pain in your own life. God can take your brokenness and use it for a blessing. Hank Aaron just passed away, and as a black man playing from 1954 to 1976, a professional baseball player, he endured great suffering for the color of his skin. But his faith in Christ led him to use that brokenness to be a blessing. You know, when Aaron played, he had to have the FBI protect him. He had to have extra security measures while playing on the field for fear of his own safety while playing. And he said this. He says, I need to depend on God, this God who is bigger and stronger and wiser than I am. I don't do it on my own. He helps me when things go wrong. He forgives me when I fall on my face. He lights the way. Friends, we lost a great brother in Christ who understood that God is our reconciler and our redeemer, yes, forgiving our sin, and yes, also taking our suffering and using it for service. His life teaches us that when we accept the call to take our cross in whatever life we lead, that none of our pain goes to waste. See, Jesus' goal is to reconcile all things. None of your pain has to go to waste. Let's pray. Lord, we know you are the reconciled redeemer. We believe your word through the Apostle Paul who says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, give us that vision that our eternity is secure with you and that even begins right now, that we can even see our suffering in light of eternity. And Lord, that we could see that we have hope because of you in our lives. Oh Lord, forgive us for holding on tightly to our pain and our scars because we don't trust you that you can take them and heal them and use them to equip us for ministry and use them to bring more glory to you. Use it to bless others. Lord, forgive us for holding on tightly to our losses. May you take them and multiply them to be a glimpse of your goodness on this earth until you come back again. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you. We honor you. Help us to trust you more, even with our pain. In your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.